Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Hello there. So today I have a guest, Abel James. He has his own podcast called The Fat Burning Man. And we're going to talk about in this interview that's going to be coming up, we're going to talk about, you know, why we go overweight despite the knowledge that we have. Women in paleo, the limitations, what works, what may present problems, negative aspects of losing weight. Yes, there are some. What works for you financially and lifestyle wise? We talk about fat shame, taking your time and exercise the movement. And just reminder, remember when I interview somebody, I think they have a great story to tell. And in no way am I saying this is the only way to do it. I, those of you that have been listening to this uh, podcast or have worked with me know that I don't belong to any food tribe because I always want to be the boss of me. And that's one of the things that I help my clients learn is what works for them instead of having to join a food tribe where we can then make it be about am I being good or not. So take a listen to this interview and I'll circle back afterwards and wrap this up. The fat burning man is here on how she really does it. I know the fat burning man really on how she really does it today. It's how he really does it. And he, my guest today is a leading voice in new media. Abel James is the bestselling author, musician, and talk show host. He has the number one most popular health podcast in eight countries. And Abel's award-winning show, Fat Burning Man, has helped millions reclaim their health with real food, cutting-edge science, and primal workouts. He now has a book called The Wild Diet that has just hit the bookshelves. And in this interview, Abel and I will talk about his journey becoming the fat burning man and what he has learned about his approach and how it can and cannot help women. Abel, hello and welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here, even though this is a how she really does it, but don't worry, I have lots of male guests. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So I wanted to talk to you first about like, even though you're very internet famous, Right. Let's just talk about your background because you weren't always the fat burning man and there was a journey for you to get here. And and so I want you to share a bit about your story of how you became the fat burning man. Yeah, it's really interesting because uh I'm I'm not really from the health industry. I did uh I paid off my college loans by working as a consultant with a lot of uh food and beverage companies, Fortune five hundreds and and stuff like that, and chemical companies and energy companies, and kind of seeing that from the inside out, and also drinking some of their Kool-Aid and uh, seeing what it did to me <laughs> was enough to convince me that uh, I needed to, to do something different. And so basically, I, um, I found myself, I was working in D.C., and I found myself after uh, a few months of working there looking like Kevin Spacey from House of Cards, you know, like all puffy, carrying like 20, 30 extra pounds, and I looked like I was in uh, like middle-aged, and that was the first point in my life where I'd ever really um, realized that I could get fat. I was always athletic and, uh, you know, healthy. I, my, I grew up in New Hampshire where uh, it's a middle of nowhere. So my mom was always, uh, she had, had a herb garden and another kind of garden that always had something to eat. So I was getting plenty of nutrition. And when, you know, I got out of that and thought that I was better than that and followed the, the low fat, super low calorie um, 
diet that my doctor gave me, that's when I started to encounter all those problems. And so I needed to turn that around. So let's give, I want to put some time perspective on this. So you graduated in 2006, is that right? That's right. And so about how far out of graduation did this happen when you're working in D.C.? It was in my early 20s, so like there was kind of like a two, three-year span there where I was trying to get the hang of what it means to be an adult and cook your own food <laughs> and, and eat the right way. And, you know, because college is not really being an adult. Um, and it was, it was interesting because it wasn't going well for me at all. It was actually getting kind of serious. You know, I, I started to have thyroid problems. And, uh, you know, in addition to the weight gain, I had insomnia. And uh, basically every time I went to the doctor, he, he wanted to put me on another pill. Uh, and he said that statins would be coming soon for my high blood pressure. <laughs> and if I didn't, you know, I was already running 30 miles a week, um, and, and eating like dieting as hard as I, and I, as I'd ever, um, you know, before that I had never really dieted. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a very strange thing. And then, you know, I'm someone who loves to optimize everything and kind of a, a perfectionist. So when I looked at how much that wasn't working, uh, I, I thought to myself, what's the opposite of this? Um, and, and I remembered back to when my brother, actually, I watched him go from this scrawny, like 150 pound dude, uh, to over 200 pounds of like solid muscle after he watched pumping iron with Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the things that some of those guys eat are like crazy, 36 eggs a day, chugging, um, whipping cream. And uh, they have the GAD diet, which is basically a gallon of whole milk a day. And these guys are getting down and, and gals too, to like these these superhuman, uh, it's superhuman fat loss. You know, it's ridiculous. It's stuff that shouldn't work. And so I figured might as well give it a try because the, the, the thing that my doctor gave me was not working. And so here you are trying to do well, right? Trying to have this professional career, be an adult and eat the way that your doctor's saying. And, and you're pretty young and your doctor's saying, look, if we don't get this under control, you're going to have to go on statins. Was that alarming right. for you? It's, yeah, I mean, it's crazy because it's a, um, I, I think when that happens to you, and I, I don't share that story because I'm special or mm-hmm. it's particularly interesting. I, I share that story because it happens to almost everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, uh, it's so common these days to get to your, uh, basically you're feeling like you're middle-aged in your early 20s and, and sometimes even before that. So yeah, I don't want to be on drugs for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and they're expensive. They're, they're bad for you. I mean, there are so many things that were, it was just a conflict in my head and I'm just like, this cannot be right. This, you know, for a while there, I didn't think that it was that unique. I thought that it was just, you know, something that, that happened to me because everyone was kind of getting fat and putting on a few extra pounds, you know, we're all working in the office, stressed out and stuff. And, and so I figured, you know, this is probably just my genetics and I'm screwed. Okay. So I have to tell you this little story. So, um, I like you that you have many different things going on. I I do do that too. So, you know, I'm a coach and then I have this radio show, this podcast, and I've been a swim coach. So I've been in this industry for a really long time and I run this youth program right now, but I was a college coach. But anyways, years ago when I was getting my master's degree, we were at Cal Berkeley for, I don't even know what we're there for, but we were there and we happened to be having this meeting in the hall of fame room. So they have this great room where it's about the hall of fame and and all these different athletes. And there were these pictures of the Cal water polo team from the 80s when they won the national championship, the early 80s. Then the team in the 90s when they won. 
And and it was so interesting. So this is like 96, 97. Okay. And it was so interesting to see the difference. So you have athletes, but the difference of their body structure. Really? They're probably working out the same amount, yeah. right, as they were in the 80s, but they were not as lean. Huh. And and they were thicker and and that so this is like you know the mid to late nineties I can't remember when, what year this team was but when I was I was in college from ninety ninety four so that was when that whole fat free craze was happening right. you know right. and I remember and I was a swimmer and we had this nutritionist who came really good intentions she was from uh, our university and she just said look you can eat as much as you want of gummy bears <laughs> you just can't have chocolate and I was like but why I love chocolate I don't want to eat right. gummy bears. But yeah. but gummy bears had fat didn't have fat and chocolate did, so it's I that whole fat free gummy bears. I hate those too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was horrible. And then the snack wells and stuff. And then it's interesting because when you go back to Cal now, because I go but there periodically, and you see the team from the two thousands again, a, it's a very different body type. It's you know, and it's this idea that it's getting bigger. But gosh, I'm going to get a lot of hate emails. Thanks, Abel. Okay. But. Um, <laughs> But they're thicker. It's not. It's not bigger in the sense of more muscular. It's just that right. thickness. Yeah, you know, I I ran marathons for a while, and um, this was while I was getting a handle on some of the nutrition stuff. And I was I was just so surprised by uh, by the shapes of the bodies that I saw mm-hmm. running marathons. You know, um, a lot of people are carrying an extra twenty, thirty pounds, and you'd expect that someone who's running twenty six miles. Uh, you know, from one city to the next or whatever, would be in the best shape of their life, would be super lean, and it would be easy for them to stay in shape. But it's, in fact, quite the opposite. You know, one of my uh, one of my friends, the brother of one of my friends, literally ran across Canada uh, doing, you know, like a marathon a day. And it took him a long time, but by the time he finished, he was like very overweight. It was crazy. Um, but when you start to look more closely on why that happens, at why that happens, then it actually starts to make some sense. Okay, so why does that happen? Well, most of us are way too stressed out. The lifestyle side of things is uh, way out of whack. And on top of that, we somehow think that we need to abuse our bodies, (laughs) you know, with exercise, as opposed to becoming strong and fit and, and kind of the positive side of things. You know, there's this mentality of no pain, no gain. And that's one of the reasons, actually, that I came into uh, the world of health, really, and, and started my own show about health because all I saw there was, you know, the biggest loser and mm-hmm. like a whole bunch of things that are, you know, making fun of fat people, talking down to fat people, saying you're not good enough, like all oh, just horrible, horrible for the mental, uh, for mental health. And I actually, you know, in college I studied um, psychology and brain science. I'm, I'm totally like I approach things from uh, the mental side of things, and uh, I wanted to. Basically, after I experienced um, a great amount of pleasure in the way that I was eating and eventually the way that I was exercising, I, I thought, you know, this is, this is easier than anything I've ever done. You know, like the food tastes awesome. Um, you know, it's not easy to be on a low-fat, low-calorie diet. I was trying the hardest I, I'd ever tried anything um, to be on that and then running 30 miles a week. And then contrast to um, the way that I eat now, you know, I'll... I run less than five miles a week. I went from running 50 miles a week. I have a blog post that went viral about this when I was doing uh, marathon type stuff and, uh, and then running less than five miles a week doing high intensity sprints and, and circuit training. And between those two things, it took a month. And I actually, when I was, 
doing the marathons, I had higher body fat. Um, a bunch of lean muscle came on when I started doing the circuits and like color returned to my face and like all the puffiness and kind of that weird hollowed outlook that you get at the mm-hmm. same time that went away and was replaced by, you know, a young buck in his prime, which is what I don't, I don't think I'm special. I don't want to be special. I think everyone who's, you know, trying to be fit should be. And, uh, you know, it's just the, the sheer amount of misinformation out there that's screwing it all up. Mm-hmm. Well, cause here's the thing. You're smart, right? You're educated. And you're obviously a high achiever. So you're thinking, okay, this is what my doctor's telling me. This is what culturally we're told to do. Eat less, move more. And you were doing that. So when you were moving, running 50 miles a week, how much were you eating at that time? Do you know like your caloric intake? Yeah, I measured it for a while. And um, it depended on which days I was running or whatever. But a lot of times I would keep it below 2,000. Sometimes it would be more than that depending on, you know, I don't know <laughs> what what fitness magazine I was reading that week, really, you know, because I, I was trying to figure this out. And so uh, I would try one thing for a while. It didn't work. Then I try another thing and that, that wouldn't work either or whatever. And it wasn't until I really uh, just abandoned everything I thought that I knew about health and said, OK, I'm starting over, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and and then approached it that way, eating real food, not being afraid of fat, getting away from the process, you know, the whole grains, which are supposedly health food that are actually processed grains that are just junk food in disguise. Mm-hmm. Getting away from that was one of the best things I ever did. Yeah, I've had Gary Tobbs on the show and we've talked a lot about that. Um, so how did you have that, I don't know, if courage or just that mindset to go, okay, this is what the rest of the world or the rest of our culture is saying to do and I'm going to do it differently. I think because I wasn't satisfied being middle-aged in my 20s. I didn't want to be shackled to taking prescription meds, mm-hmm. to uh, looking the way that I did it, but mostly feeling the way that I did. I felt like crap, and I didn't have any energy, and it was just so wrong. You know, it felt wrong, and I was trying so hard. I'm just like, there's no way that, that this is right. <laughs> you know, like, you look back at, um, like you were saying, the, the pictures, I, I was on Facebook looking at some um, some pictures of my family back into the 40s, 50s, every every family reunion, they have a different set of pictures. And man, same genes, right? But when you look at what happened to my family, um, it's it's terrifying, right? Like, I don't want to be 60 pounds overweight by the time I'm 40 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just kind of the norm now. So I wanted to, with everything, I want to optimize. Like you said, I'm a total high performer, and I admit that about myself. It's a double-edged sword, you know? Um, but <laughs> I just wasn't satisfied with the way that things were. But here's the thing with the knowledge that we were taught and the fact that you have a doctor threatening statins and then you're moving to a, towards a high fat diet. Did that happen at first or is that something that came in later in the picture? No, I did that right away. I was like, screw you, doc. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, he, he, okay, this is what put me over the edge. I was having trouble sleeping. And so, you know, on top of all the other drugs that he was trying to give me, he gave me um, something. He didn't even really say what it was. Um, but when I Googled it, when I got home, you know, after getting the prescription, it was an antidepressant that, you know, can sometimes help people sleep. Um, and also has like this slew of negative health effects and scrambles your brain and just, oh, man, like that's medicine. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Wow. I d- so 
it was that. So you, basically, it sounds like, and maybe this isn't the language you use, Abel, but in the language of my listeners, it's kind of that intuition. It's that being able to check yeah. in with yourself. And there's that voice of, this isn't right. What they're telling me, even though in our culture, right, our doctors are this, um, they're supposed to be this highly knowledgeable resource and yeah. know, know better. And, and I have lots of clients who are doctors and say, look, our nutrition training is a half day or a week of medical school. Right. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to learn this stuff as well. But you li- listen to your own internal voice, your own intuition, so to speak. I don't think it was all mine, actually. I was really fortunate to grow up with my mom um, because she was, you know, <laughs> she had the option of being a secretary, a teacher, or a nurse. That's what her guidance counselor told her. Uh, so she chose nurse. And she was trained in traditional Western practices, um, and she became a nurse practitioner. Uh, she's, you know, a total high achiever also. But when I was a little kid, I got really sick. I got an infection uh, that wouldn't go away, and it was my body temperature was like 106. And uh, they put me full of all sorts of antibiotics and drugs, and um, eventually I did obviously live, but I'm allergic to almost every uh, medicine or, or antibiotic uh, that's out there. So I, when I get sick, it's really dangerous. And so growing up that way, my mom was just like, what do I do? I had this rash that wouldn't go away for, uh, for weeks or months. And, uh, it wasn't until my mom met this guy who, you know, cooked curry and was into, um, Eastern practices of medicine, Chinese medicine, healing with, with plants and herbs and things like that, that, um, she got really into being an herbalist and then went to school for that and, uh, and eventually wrote a book on it. And basically, so I was exposed to the world of alternative health before that. And I really just went back, you know, I tried to reject it for a while saying, you know, I, for the first time in my life, I had great insurance when I had, when I had my job. So that's why I was going to that doc because it was the best one that I could find. Um, but then I abandoned that, that whole system and went to the other side, <laughs> the alternative health. And now it's, Oh man, it's so much nicer over here. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to why you know why are we overweight? And you talked about you know there's the fat shaming that goes on and and the grains and then also um, the stress. Right, we're way too stressed out. Yeah, and then um, Gary Tobbs actually I think is one of the best theses about why we are carrying extra weight. Because when you look around the world, it's really interesting. We love to travel and we were just down in Peru and uh, kind of just like looking at the way that people eat and and their body structure is really fascinating. But the thing that makes the most sense to me is that we're actually putting on weight because we're undernourished. We're eating too many foods that are essentially empty calories or even, you know, leach minerals and nutrients from your system when you eat them. Uh, It's just low quality food. And when you it's kind of like um, drinking water in a lot of ways. If you're puffy and you look in the mirror, you're carrying extra water in your face or your joints are a little inflamed, usually you need to drink more water. Um, and so if you're carrying too much extra fat, it's kind of like you need to nourish your body because right now it's holding on to fat because you're nutritionally starving. Uh, that is really interesting. I've not heard it put that way. Maybe Gary said that, but I think the way the words that you put make a lot of sense. Yeah, it, it takes a little while to wrap your head around it, but um, especially when you look at other cultures where they're not eating American junk foods because they can afford them, 
but they are eating a whole lot of starch. You know, say it's like mostly corn or mostly rice or something like that, and not really getting that many veggies. Um, there are a lot of people in other countries that are just as fat as Americans and eat in a totally different way. So you kind of have to like think about why why would that happen? But it really does start to make sense. Um, and I can tell you, like from personal experience, that that totally happened to me. The reason that I was carrying extra weight wasn't because I was eating too much, for sure. Um, I think it was because I wasn't getting the right kind of nutrients from my food. And and now it's like really easy to maintain um, a healthy body composition because I'm eating an ungodly amount of vegetables <laughs> mm-hmm. and a fair amount of, you know, really high quality nutrient dense fat and, and protein. And I'm not overdoing it on the starches and the carbs, which is, you know, it depends on your body type uh, and your level of activity. But I think pretty much everyone in America can benefit from scaling down the carbs. So is the carbs more important than the fat? I, you know, in in one way, I don't like to deconstruct food into protein, fat, and carbs because mm-hmm. it's like, if you focus on it too much, it'll just drive you crazy and the science isn't really there yet. Um, but I would say when you bump up healthy fats, like you start cooking with avocado oil or coconut oil or, or ghee or grass-fed butter, and uh, you're having plenty of, of olives or you know whole coconuts, things like that, and you're getting nutrient-dense fats from uh, from the animal foods if you choose to eat them, then you combine that with eating veggies. It kind of pushes out grains. It pushes out the carbs. And certainly, everyone knows that avoiding sugar is the right call. You know, like mm-hmm. I put it in my book that it's, it's not rocket science. Sugar makes us fat. Um, but the, what we might not know is that 100 years ago, we were eating uh, like four pounds of sugar a year, which that sounds like a lot to me. Like if you look at a bag of sugar, um, that's a lot of, of juice right there. Mm-hmm. But these days, we uh, the, the latest uh, numbers I saw is that we're eating 156 pounds of sugar a year. So if we were of like average weight, which we're not, we're all carrying extra weight for the most part, um, we would actually be eating our own body weight and sugar every year. And so just right there, I mean, you take that out and <laughs> you'll get like 80% of the benefit. That's a very good visual. <laughs> yeah, when people start to realize they're eating their body weight and sugar a year. It's crazy. You know, as you're talking about that, I was thinking about the Little House on the Prairie books and um, you know, with our kids and stuff, we've read them to them when, uh, as they were growing up, but it was such a big deal when their dad would come back from town and he'd have molasses or maybe maple right. syrup or some sugar. It wasn't an everyday occurrence. And now as a parent, I have four kids, it's so hard to keep the sugar out right. of their lives. I mean, it's, gummy bears are healthy. Gummy bears are healthy, and you have Gatorade. Like I remember when my kids were little and they played soccer, you know, and yeah. it was oh, we have to bring them a snack, and so it would be fruit snacks that people would yeah. bring or Gatorade, and right. it was, we don't need that. They're they're kind of running for forty five minutes, if that, and right. they'll be just fine. But it's like oh, we must we must carbo load them. We must make sure their glycogen systems are filled. Right at six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, but, but yeah, okay. So now here's my question because you have uh, this paleo, right, type of lifestyle. One of the yeah. things, and this is what I want to talk with you about, was it seems to work really, really well for men. And you can tell me where I'm wrong. And for some women, it works really well. And then for some women, it doesn't. Right. What are your thoughts? I think, uh, well, so it's been interesting because uh, my wife, Allison, is about 105 pounds. 
And um, I'm really fascinated by the way our body responds differently to eating foods. Um, I, I think it's preposterous that when we go out to eat, if we each order an entree, you know, I'm 165, 170 pounds, and obviously male, uh, which is a totally different metabolic system than women, uh, we get the same size entree um, where she should definitely be eating like half as much as me. Um, but the the environment that we're in isn't set up that way at all. And usually even my portions are way too big for me. Um, so there are a few different reasons that like men usually have more success losing fat quickly. And that's, um, there's a Seinfeld where Elaine said, uh, men are like Jeeps, you know, we're, we're very <laughs> all about utility from a hormonal perspective. We're, we're quite, quite predictable or at least more predictable than, than women's bodies. Whereas for women, um, carrying fat, uh, if you look at uh, evolution, actually makes a lot of sense because if you're going to be the one who is carrying uh, a baby or caring for a baby or lactating or anything like that, then it makes sense that you would want to carry um, extra fat to get you through the winter, to get you through uh, leaner times um, because you'll starve more quickly if you don't have that fat. So also like from a hormonal perspective, um, Every every woman and man <laughs> figures out that hormones uh, in a woman's body are much more unpredictable and cyclical. So eating the same thing every day will have a totally different effect on a woman than it does on a man. So there are I have a whole section on my in my book that talks about like special considerations for for men and for women. But I'll I'll just kind of suffice it to say that I think women have the ultimate advantage because they tend to be much more interested in health, much more interested in, in cooking and kind of preparing foods, um, which allows you to not only feed yourself really, really well and kind of get it under control, but also it has a huge effect on your family and the people that you love. Um, because you can, if you get on board with eating healthy and, and, and eating the right kinds of food, real food, fresh food, um, then the rest of your family, if you're the one cooking, has to eat your way. And so you, the effects that you can have are much, much bigger than you. Well, it's kind of like the influence that your mom had being a nurse and going into alternative, you know, looking at alternative medicine that gave yeah. you, you that ability to have a mind shift later on when you had a doctor that was telling you one thing and culture, culture was telling you another thing, you know, the same thing, but it wasn't right inside of you. That's exactly right. And, you know, men are... When I first started my show, it's interesting because uh, it was about four years ago, and you know, a lot of people in my life were just like, "You can't do that," <laughs> you know, like that's stupid. That's really, you know, they would make fun of me uh, for the way that I was eating. Um, it wasn't cool at all to think about food or diet as a guy, and it's still kind of not that cool. The guys have a lot of like cultural stigma and kind of like they're wrapped around this this idea that we're better than that, or we just need to exercise more, or like we're men, so we don't care. Uh, and so that takes a lot of, uh, it takes a lot of mojo to kind of <laughs> reverse that thinking. And it, you need you need a thick hide. Whereas I think um, women can be vicious to each other for sure. But for the most part, when someone starts eating a different way, or they really try to become more healthy. Um, in some cases, you can get like great social support structures that for, for men are <laughs> not always there. That's an interesting perspective. I never thought about that like that in that sense. Well, it, it was kind of cool too because you know I'm I'm used to being made fun of. I've been a performer for a long time and kind of made a habit of making a fool of myself in front of thousands of people. 
as a musician, but um, it was really cool because when when I started this, a lot of women were interested in that because it was kind of a new way of of eating. Even though my stuff, like <laughs> when I started, it was called Fat Burning Man, and I printed up a bunch of you know manuals that were made just for men, and more women bought it than men. And I was like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> Um, but eventually those men who, the same guys who were making fun of me for, you know, getting a salad when they were eating chips or whatever, um, they, over the course of a few weeks after they saw that I, you know, lost 20 pounds in just over a month and like went from being kind of schlubby and, and overweight like the rest of them to being like strapping and looking awesome. Uh, they're just like, so you're eating this and I guess I should not eat the chips and like, mm-hmm. what's your exercise regimen? And they, they totally got on board. Um, and so it takes, it takes sticking out at the beginning, um, until you kind of get that momentum. Yeah. You have to really not be worried about other people's opinions because there, there's so much people so get into other people's business about what you eat, yeah. what you don't eat. And they like to make comments. Yeah. Um, the food is personal. And yeah. Emotional. Yeah. And there's a lot of judgments. I mean, um, I, I was at dinner like a few weeks ago and I ordered salmon and, just because I ordered salmon and and somebody said, "Are you?" A, I've had this happen twice in the last month. It was, "Are you a clean eater?" Huh. And, and I, I'm like, I, "I just like salmon." Yeah, <laughs> you know, this is just what I'm eating. Right. <laughs> but there were je- there was a story that was attached to what I was eating. Oh yeah. And I just want to be able to eat my food. <laughs> right. Oh, it's awful. And and yeah, the, it's interesting because. Guys and girls have, have a lot of problems with trying to like adopt a healthy lifestyle, especially when one person in the relationship does it and the other isn't totally on board. There's definitely a lot of like uh, inertia and, and weight, so to speak, of like people who kind of want to pull you back down. Like if you're eating salmon, then it's kind of this, this communication to them if they're in the wrong mental state that, oh, she thinks she's better than me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> There's a lot of that going on, which is pretty rough. And you're just eating salmon. That's really all that I was doing. Mm-hmm. I was just eating salmon. Exactly. <laughs> I looked at the menu that looked like for me, it was going to the best choice for me in the terms of what I wanted to eat and what was going right. to taste good and be filling. Yeah. It was that simple. So yeah. w- with you and your wife, was she a part of this? Because I know she's very much a part of your life and your business and your way of eating now. But when you guys first met, was this the kind of lifestyle that she had? Um, it was interesting because she actually totally got into, um, she, she read the original paleo diet book from Lauren Cordain, uh, which said that you could have canola oil and a bunch of like other crazy stuff and like stay away from saturated fat, which, you know, I, I read his book and, um, you know, I've talked about this on my show and I've talked to him personally about it. I, I disagreed with a lot of the stuff in there, so I didn't take it that seriously, but she, um, she got the leanest she'd ever been, um, doing that. Uh, combined combined with like going on the treadmill two, three times a day for usually an hour apiece. And so when I met her, she was like too skinny. It wasn't, wasn't great. And, and, um, so for me, I was also running marathon. So I was too skinny at that, at that point too. And, um, it was, we kind of figured out a lot of stuff together. And one of the cool parts of the backstory is she used to be a professional video game player. She, uh, was on an all-female uh, team that toured around the, the the country and the world, essentially performing, playing video games, and then she was on a reality show for that. So she's got this really like hyper-focused personality uh, when she wants to, 
And over the course of time, you know, when we first got together, I was, uh, you know, doing my blog, just getting started with the show and stuff like that. And she really got into it. And um, so she transferred pretty much all that energy and focus from uh, playing video games professionally to um, cooking professionally. So now, like, pretty much all the recipes that, that come out, I'm just... I'm an opportunist in the kitchen. I don't even follow recipes most of the time. I just take whatever's like about to spoil and a bunch of spices and <laughs> throw them together, um, kind of improv cooking. And she, though, is just like, she's become a fantastic cook. And, um, and it's so, like such a pleasure to see that, that blossom, you know, because it's, it's really affected her whole family. She comes from a huge Mormon family here in Arizona. And um, so at all the family gatherings, She's bringing cheesecake and zucchini noodles and like all this stuff that that she made at home. And oftentimes we'll get the uh, we'll get the kids involved and, and even the adults sometimes to all help make this healthy food together. And it's just so cool. It's very cool. So it sounds like you guys kind of grew together. She had this one way of doing things, and then as you guys have been learning through, like you know, the effects of canola oil. Because I mean, most of us do eat canola oil. We were told that yeah. was heart healthy. And then it sounds like you guys grew together as you've been shifting through the information. I'm so happy that we did because um, I've, I've seen a lot of people in relationships have have um, trouble with that. Because like when one person loses 30 pounds or whatever, um, it totally changes the dynamic of the relationship. And it can be very emotional. Like this whole thing. Uh, one of the things that I tell people is, because uh, once again, I'm on the mental side usually, is that there is definitely a huge... Uh, negative aspect of losing weight, right? Like say, if you want to lose, if you're a woman, you want to lose like 10 or 20 pounds um, and you're just hyper-focused on losing 20 pounds and then you finally do, you look in the mirror and you're like, I guess I look good, but I don't feel any better. And it's almost worse once you get there because like you thought that was going to be the thing that totally made you happy and life would be easy. And then you get there and you're like, oh, it's kind of the same uh what do I do? You know, it can be a huge bummer for people. Yeah. So then maybe it's, Oh, I, I need to leave the relationship to make me happy. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, <laughs> I did. Yeah. So, um, you no. Know, and you know, it's interesting because as you say that, like going back to my salmon story, like the stories that people had about me eating salmon and that's not even a huge trigger point. I'm not saying you have to eat salmon. Look at me. I'm just sitting down and yeah, eating yeah. salmon and look right. at what occurred in a relationship. There could be that fear of, wow, this person's changing. Are they going to leave me now? Right. Yeah. That, that's a big uh, undercurrent in a lot of this. That's not really talked about that much, but you can, I mean, you can just see it. You go to, we're going to a, a paleo conference in Austin uh, in a few weeks and, and the uh, past experiences there just like, of people who you see them one year and they're carrying an extra hundred pounds and then you see them again and they're, you know, down 50 and then they're down 50 again the next year. Um, it can have really weird effects on relationships. Yeah. Because again, it's all those stories like that we tell ourselves and it, 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 in the work that I do, it's so much about the shame triggers, right? What are, what are the stories? So it's not about what you're going through, but it's what does it trigger inside of me? Yeah. And, yeah. and obviously like my, the, the example of the salmon, is a huge shame. It can be a tra shame trigger for other people. Yeah. Cause they can be going, well, Corinne's eating salmon. So I'm not doing it right. I'm not good enough. Right. Especially right. if they're that perfectionist, Corinne's judging me and all I'm doing is eating my salmon and having a conversation. Right. Or if someone cooks you a fruitcake and then you're expected to eat it and you're like, ah, <laughs> you know, I don't really eat 
fruitcake. No. Um, that could be a huge, a huge like social embarrassment for everyone too. So you do have to, you kind of have to plan on it being uh, a little bit interesting from a um, emotional perspective when you take any of this on. I think uh, women are much more emotionally intelligent than men for sure. So they can kind of like sense other people's emotions better, I think. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the reasons it, it can be so difficult is because you don't want to be alienated from your entire family and, and social group, which can sometimes happen. So I think if you know that that might be an issue coming in, then you can really plan on it a lot more, you know, and if someone's, you know, having this whole breakdown because you're eating salmon, you can be like, look, I'm sorry. Like, I I'm happy to help, but I'm just eating salmon. here. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> just plan on that happening and it'll be better. Yeah. You don't want to be blindsided. Yeah, and to to make sure that they you're not judging them. Like this is just what right. I'm eating. This is I find it really delicious and yeah. and be done with that. So interesting because when I was in college, I decided to stop drinking. Oh my gosh, Abel, the fastest way to free alcohol is to declare to people that you do not drink. Right, if if right. I had known that prior, I would have been telling people that because as soon as I said, oh, I don't drink, it triggered up because everybody went, well, are you judging me? Do I have a problem? Uh -uh. And yeah. I just don't drink. And at that point, I wasn't willing to say, I think I may have a problem. I just knew that I needed not to drink. And it triggered people like mad. And then it got them to really want to give me a drink. It was fascinating, you know, the human yeah. behavior about those kinds of things. So I think that's a good point for the listeners is to realize that you may be going through this change and be really content in your relationship. It's not about you, you know, necessarily losing this weight to leave the, this partner that you have, but, but realizing that what you do, there may be a ripple effect. And how can yeah. you, how can you not get blindsided? And then how can you also still, that was one of the things that I did in both those conversations is uh, not armor up, but, you know, continue with that connection of this is, yeah. this is something I just enjoy. And if you enjoy your food, yay you. Yeah. And it's so funny because it's like the hardest people to convince because you can't convince anyone, but the hardest people to uh, have an effect on are your own family members. So for, mm -hmm. you know, I had this show for a while, that burning man and, you know, started writing books about it and recipes and stuff like that. And mom, you know, she was on board with, with most of it, but the wheat thing was so big for her because mm -hmm. she had been eating whole grains for a long time and, you know, feeding us growing up whole grains, thinking that it was healthy. And, um, it, it took like two years of me saying, uh, different things on my show and, and saying, you know, mom, like that bread is, is garbage. Like, <laughs> you know, you, you have to be gentle with it. But it wasn't until I had uh, the author of Wheat Belly on my show, mm -hmm. Dr. Uh, Bill Davis, who's just a wonderful man. Um, I had him on and mom listened to that show. And uh, she called me up and she was like, oh, my God, Abel, I am getting off wheat right now. <laughs> and she did. And over the course of a few weeks, she lost uh, eight pounds. And, and basically, you know, that that stubborn weight that wouldn't come off came off pretty much immediately. And then she became the biggest advocate of going gluten-free and going wheat-free. And, you know, she was much more hardcore about it than, than me, but it took like two years mm -hmm. of that dripping in. And then her listening to someone else say it on my show <laughs> for it to happen. Well, it's, yeah, it's, a, I mean, Vinny Tortorich, our friend Vinny Tortorich, right? From yeah. the Angers Trainer, he has the same thing. His, his family back in Louisiana, why would we listen to you? And then he, he leads this whole tribe who listens to what he has to say. So, um, we, we are really good at discounting sometimes the people that we care about the most. So, yeah. 
and and I think how you how you talked about it is a great way to affect change is that where it, uh, you allow it to drip instead of I know I hate when people say this is what you need to do because I'm like right. Right. Because I think we all generally, or at least I do, I want to be the boss of me. I don't want you to tell me how to be the boss of me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and also I think there's a huge part of, um, of the acceptance of a totally different reality, you know, because when you, for instance, if you um, stop eating wheat or someone stops eating wheat, you're like, oh, well, that's stupid. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. wheat's healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you have to, if you're going to come to the other side, you have to admit to yourself that we've been either misled or blatantly <laughs> deceived. Dude, uh, which which is kind of a, you have to revisit your entire worldview uh-huh. with a lot of this stuff. Uh-huh. No, I mean, I, I I can tell you again. Well, the gummy worms I never bought because I didn't really like gummy <laughs> worms, but. Um, and I ate boxes of snack wells in college because, sure. you know, that one snack well didn't taste very good. So for some reason, I had the story that, well, if you eat the whole box, you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And ate tons of low fat stuff. And, and, and shifting over to being more in this fat world and eating avocado or, you know, we have whole fat dairy in our house and stuff has been kind of, it, it, it's, it's a new religion is what it is. Right. It's, it's a cult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a cult. And I'm not a person that, you know, my listeners know I don't belong to any food tribe because that I just don't want to belong. But I have a way of eating that works for me in my life. Um, and then again, it's it's what works for me. I'm not saying it's going to work for you because I do think it is personal. Yeah. So it is. And different people, you know, there's so much judgment when it comes to body image and what people are eating and stuff like that. And But if you look around your friend group, some people are just, you know, like super skinny or whatever, or always, you know, in good shape. And you're just like, ah, screw them. Like, why, why does that happen? And it might just be because they like broccoli more than you. <laughs> you know, it might just be something that simple that they have different food preferences. We're all different. But, um, you know, I think part of the journey is just finding what works for you because that's what I tried to do in my book, too. It's called The Wild Diet. But at the beginning, I redefine what diet is supposed to mean, which mm-hmm. is like, this is the actual definition is what someone habitually eats and if you think of diet that way then you don't go on a diet you have basically a system of beliefs and principles that allows you to navigate any food situation because you're coming in with the tools that you need the knowledge that you need to know what's good for you and what's bad for you mm-hmm. well and it helps reduce overwhelm like i think about it's when you know what works for your body right it's really simple to go through the grocery store because you could get really overwhelmed with those eighty thousand items but when you know, like when, when we decided to buy the brand of milk that we started buying when my daughter was two, we, it was in line with certain reasons that we had and we started buying that. I never look at all those different milks that are up there. I would be overwhelmed if I looked at every single milk every time I went to the grocery store. Yeah. And so it really simplifies like what works for me, what works for me financially, which is a huge thing if you go paleo, what works right. for me, you know, like our family values, what works for me time-wise. And, you know, how does my body react to that? So I want to talk about the financial aspect because one of the, one of the, I guess, criticisms or concerns can be with eating paleo is that it can be really expensive. What do you have to say to that? Um, well, real food tends to be more expensive than fake food, but that's not always true because <laughs> people, um, well, I like to think of it this way. My brother's an organic farmer and when you buy food from him, when you buy, you know, broccoli or turkey or whatever, um, he makes almost no money. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. they're lucky to break even every year. But when you buy from them, um, 
the money goes directly to the next season's harvest. And like it goes straight back into the food and getting the, the highest quality food that they possibly can, can make and grow for you. Whereas if you buy something from a chain restaurant or uh, a fast food restaurant or from the supermarket that comes in a box with, you know, a happy cow on the front or like a picture of a flat belly with arrows going up and down because it's supposed to be healthy for you, the money that you spend goes to the marketers and the distributors and it goes, you know, to the marketers in the Maserati, not to the people who are producing the food for you because that stuff, like when I worked with these companies, I realized that they're not really food companies. They uh, distribute products mm-hmm. and they market them. The, the food itself is often an afterthought. It's, it's, it doesn't even matter what's in it <laughs> to a lot of them. And they certainly don't feed it to their own kids. It's, it's a product. So if you stop buying products and you start buying food instead, then um, eventually you, you realize that you save a heck of a lot of money. Because last time I checked, diabetes costs something like a half million dollars. And uh, you know if half of us are supposed to get that, then that's kind of a problem and <laughs> pretty expensive. And also prescription drugs are really expensive. And when you start using your, your food as medicine, then um, pretty much every other bill that you have goes way down. Mm-hmm. When you say half million dollars, do you mean per person? Yeah, I, I looked at like the cost of diabetes over a lifetime. It's like a half million dollars. Wow. That could be some awesome trips. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and the other thing about like real food is that it may be expensive, but then you're also not like when I used to eat, I could eat when I was, especially when I was a collegiate swimmer, I could eat a whole box of a cereal and not even hit a dent. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, when you eat real foods, I'm like, oh, okay, I, I'm done eating. I can go off with my day. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And also, like, real food fills you up way more. It's way more satisfying. And also, it doesn't have to be more expensive. Like, for instance, I don't even go and get, like, sirloin steaks that are grass-fed because they're, like, exorbitantly expensive. Um, we go and get the offcuts of meat. Or we'll make stock from, like, you can get awesome uh, wild-caught salmon but it's just like the tails and the heads and the other random pieces and the bones. And you can make stock from that to make like a killer soup. And that stuff is like practically free and you can get marrow bones that, you know, we give some to the dog, we roast some up and then we make bone broth from that. Once you start to like realize that eating from a whole animal is something that we should be doing and that eating fat is good. Like the amount of calories and food energy in, uh, a quart of whipping cream is exorbitant. <laughs> and like I fill up on whipping cream and coconut oil and avocados and, and high fat natural foods um, much more than, like you said, eating a box of whatever mm-hmm. crap they're trying to sell you. Because that stuff is designed to make you more hungry and keep you addicted. Okay, Abel. So I know you and your wife are traveling around. Hopefully you're coming to Northern California. I live in Davis. And why don't you come here and cook? Maybe I'd be willing. Cool. Some of that stuff that you're talking about, I'm like, I understand it intellectually, but I'm like, oh, I'm really scared. (laughs) Right, right. And a lot of people are because it seems so weird, Uh, but it's not. (laughs) Okay, so I'm inviting you. We'll have a wild diet feast in my house. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) And I'll test it out because that's really, you know, we need that in Costco for the Costco samples. Right. (laughs) That's like eyeballs and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's funny because I'm half Korean and my mom um, would always cook like the whole fish. You know, not yeah. like just I go to and buy salmon and I get, you know, just a 
cut of it. She cooked the whole yeah. fish. She'd eat the brain. She'd eat the eyeball. So it's not that I haven't been around that, sure. but I do have some stories about, ooh, the eyeball, you know, like, so I don't know. But, you know, who knows? <laughs> Maybe in five years, I'll be more open to it. Um, but you have an invite. Okay. So I want to, before we uh, wrap up, I just want to go back to the, the, the woman thing because I know you're friends with Jonathan Baylor. And one of the things that he talks about that I love, because it's not about calories in, calories out, right? Yeah. We can, we can put that aside. So, because that is something I asked you earlier, but that was the old myth about losing weight. But one of the, and I love his metaphor that he has about our metabolism is like a kitchen sink. And when it's not working well, it's because it's clogged. And I'm wondering, this is kind of my thoughts, and I know you interview a lot of people, and this is between, you know, working with people and interviewing people, but trying and looking at the research. But with women who are older, because um, I've interviewed paleo people, young women who are younger, and it seems to yeah. work like men. But with right. women who are older, say in the 40s and 50s, maybe 60s, that their metabolism is more like a clogged sink, plus they're in those hormone, that hormone cycle. And um, what do you have to say? Like, what information do you know about that? Well, I don't think it's necessarily fair to expect that you're going to lose weight super quickly, you know, and that, that might sound mm-hmm. ironic from someone who says like, lose 20 pounds in 40 days, or whatever, because you have to meet people where they are. That's what, that's what people want. And that's one of the reasons that, that people pay attention to health uh, is because they think they'll get quick results. But if you have been eating, uh, you know, a, a diet that's not good for you, for 50 years, mm-hmm. sometimes it can take some time and extra effort to undo a lot of that damage. Because let's face it, like we're, it's, it's remarkable what the human body can withstand. But the fact that, <laughs> that most of us are still alive despite eating all those fish sticks and Crisco and whatever else uh, we were subjected to over the course, course of our lives, um, it can take some time to, um, to get there. But I think one of the other things that, that young women, and this might be a generational thing too, young women seem to be getting into CrossFit and kind of like high intensity, big weights and stuff like that. They're not as afraid of it as, as uh, some of the other generations uh, who think that they'll look like Arnold Schwarzenegger if they start mm-hmm. to push weight around. But I think one of the biggest things, like my mom, for instance, um, she doesn't want to do, she doesn't want to do anything that has like weights on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's missing out on such like a huge thing because if you get the diet right, then it can certainly have effects for some people. Most people get results that way. But if you don't, then you get this incredible synergistic thing when you, you face the fact that doing squats is good for everyone, that being strong is something that humans are meant to be, and that we really need to redevelop our, our muscles in our legs, in our trunk, not our abs, not our biceps or calves or whatever, uh, not our arms, but our entire bodies. We need to rewire the way that our bodies work. And so that usually, that usually means doing some physical work. We used to, like my, my grandmother grew up on a farm in New Hampshire and she had seven kids and they didn't have running water and they didn't have hot water. So every day she was, you know, um, getting logs for the fire and heating up the water for baths for seven kids and, uh, for cooking and all that stuff on the wood stove. And when you, lead a lifestyle like that, you don't need to exercise, right? Because it's just there. And so I think that's kind of the secret for a lot of people who aren't getting results. If you're eating right and you're not getting results, try some like great squats or deadlifts or something Mm -hmm. like that. You don't have to go to a gym, but kettlebells are awesome for everyone. 
Well, you know, so I, when I coached in college, I, we used to do weights and I would run our weight program. And a lot of the college women, I mean, this is in, again, the late 90s and then the first part of the century. And uh, the women would come in and say, you know, these female collegiate athletes would be like, well, I don't want to lift weights. I mean, they're swimmers. So they're used to all this cardio. And then mm-hmm. I don't want to lift weights because I don't want to look like a guy. We already have broad right. shoulders. And I would explain to them that really the only thing we can physically look like a guy is our legs because our upper bodies aren't built that way. And guys right. tend to have really good legs. Like most women want guys' legs that are shaved yeah. down. So it's right. not. And so I would convince them in that way and to, and to be willing to lift weights. And then we did these things called nasties. They're like uh, hip flexors, you know, where you lay down and you push your pelvis up. And uh, that was part of our warm up. And um, I remember reading somewhere that the number one reason that people get put into um, homes, convalescent homes, is because they cannot sit down in a toilet any longer by wow. themselves. Yeah. And, and so you think about squats, that, that standing, sitting, standing, sitting, it's, so, it's such an important functional movement. And it yeah. doesn't have to be with a squat bar. It can just be body right. weight squats. Totally. And it's so easy, right? We all know how to do it. We just don't. We're losing flexibility. It's, it's, uh, it's tragic how disconnected we are from you know, our body's own intelligence. But if you keep that up, uh, it's, it's a lot easier to stay in shape than get in shape. But if you're willing to um, you know, go through a few weeks of kind of like sucking it up and huffing and puffing, if, like if it helps, do it with a group of people. You know, for women, often that's the trick, you know, mm-hmm. like getting a group of people to get excited and, and go there and do it together. And it's just like impossible to over, uh, overestimate like how important being physical is. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's great for your brain. It's great for your body. And I think a lot of people have the wrong impression about what exercise really is because we see all these commercials with gadgets and uh, people think <laughs> that they need big fancy machines to get healthy or some ab roller or something. And it's stupid. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's terrible. All you really need to do is um, some squats, really, honestly. <laughs> well, and, and I want to circle back to something that you said that's really important, right? Because it's a different message than what you generally put out there. But you don't. You said you don't think it's fair to lose weight very quickly, especially for maybe women who are older who have spent a lifetime doing something. If you notice, like if they're starting to feel better, they have more energy, they're getting more mobility, they're feeling stronger, but maybe the number on the scale isn't transitioning you know, because we do that. We have this, I call it a transactional mindset, right? It's a Starbucks. I walk into Starbucks, (laughs) I pay my, I put my order and give them my money and I expect a coffee returned. Right. Well, weight loss doesn't necessarily happen that way. And then it's like, I see women all of a sudden give up on themselves or, you know, try this for three weeks and say, well, it's not happening. So I'm going to go do this and then I'm going to go do this. Oh, see, I really need to go back to low caloric intake. Right. Yeah, and it's a shame because you're not really giving your body a chance um, because oftentimes a lot of stuff is happening from the inside out, and it takes some time for your you know, your gut bacteria. We have more non-human cells than human cells in our bodies, and it takes a long time uh, in some cases to kind of revamp yourself from the inside out. Um, so, yet, yeah, don't give up on eating real food. Like, if we, if we take a step back and just, like, kind of look at it, Everyone knows that eating fresh food is great. Everyone agrees that eating more vegetables is better. And eating, we used to eat a heck of a lot of lard and butter and, uh, and pies even and donuts and stuff like that. If you look at those pictures that we were talking about before from the 40s and 50s, like we didn't have a lot of these problems back then, despite the fact that we were really splurging a lot of the time and doing a lot of things wrong. <laughs> so the idea that, 
you need to be eating lots of carbs, which are basically sugar, in order to um, keep weight off is something that we really need to give up. All right. On that note, it's great to talk with you, Abel. I'm serious about Davis. So you have an invite, you and your wife. And I hope you'll come back so we can have more conversations because like I'm we're done. We need, we've run out of time, but I could talk to you cool. for another hour. So, well, thank you so much. This is lots of fun. This was great. So, thank you and good luck on your book tour. I want to circle back with one of the things that we talked about with Abel in that losing weight makes you happy. And one of the things that occurs is clients who've come to me, they've lost the weight prior, but then they gained it back and they were losing weight to be happy. They were losing weight to finally be worthy. They would be a good person if they lost the weight. Well, once they got there, They were upset because this weight loss did not equal happiness or did not equal that they were finally good enough. They didn't like who they were. So one of the things that we work on in their weight loss process is practicing being happy now, not when at some later date when you reach your so-called promised land, but practicing being happy now. That way, when you lose your weight, you already know what happiness feels like and you're not afraid of it. Because there's going to be other stuff that are going to come up. The, the fear of, oh my gosh, will I be able to keep this weight off? Or will it continue to come back on like it has so many other times, right? So when you can practice being happy, you've got that part taken care of. So you don't have to worry about that when you get there. And you can be happy along the way. And it's just about loving yourself now, not waiting until a certain date or a certain time in your life. Love yourself now. Practice being happy. That doesn't mean you're happy 24-7. That means you practice that happiness, you practice feeling happy, you practice gratitude, and you also feel the sadness. You may feel, you know, fear in your life. You may feel frustration or anxiety. Those are all normal feelings. And if you've been a longtime listener on the show, we've talked about that. It's not a negative feeling. Those are, that's information to give you insight and clarity to go forward. So it's not about getting stuck in the swampland. It's about how do you move forward and taking those feelings, those negative feelings. There's an upside, like Todd Cashlin said in my previous interview with him. So practice being happy and realizing that losing weight is not what makes us happy. It's the what we think about ourselves. So that's the thing that really needs to change is how you think about yourself, that mindset. Abel talked a little bit about that and I'm going to work on getting him to come back on my show or I'm going to invite him to come back on my show so we can further explore this whole mindset thing because as you know, it's it's the area that I spend a lot of time in on the show and then in my practice with my clients. Thanks so much for listening today and I just appreciate all the emails that you guys have been doing and the iTunes reviews. And I remind you, I invite you to sign up for my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. And that's a great way for us to be in touch and for you to learn more about what's going on. And I want to do a shout out to Queen Shames for the shout out and the review on iTunes. Thank you so much. And thank you for those emails and the stories that are coming into my inbox. I read every single one. And thank you. They give me ideas for shows and as well as just feed my heart. So thank you. And I'll be talking to you next week. On a lake, she is dreaming. She is drifting. Never been so wide awake.